Good morning. Welcome to First Presbyterian Church on this snowy morning. We're delighted to have you here with us for worship. Please be sure to sign the pew pads so we can know who you are. And also, today is Name Tag Sunday, so if you don't have a name tag yet, Please try to get one on the way out. There are people out there who will help you. If you wish to see a Stephen minister confidentially, the Stephen minister today is Alice Swetman, and she'll be in the narthex following the service with a special name tag. Uh, there are three announcements today. Uh, I think the first one, Tyler Logan. Where's Tyler? All right, then we'll go to uh, Diane Brown. Good morning, everyone. We had, we had a very successful dedication of our Habitat House yesterday. It was a beautiful morning, 11 o'clock in the morning, and the sun was out, and we could do it from the porch, so it was really lovely. I have a few pictures of the dedication on an easel as you go into the hallway leading to the uh, fellowship hall. So take a look at that on your way in. I also want to remind everyone that the pie pickup, if you have ordered a pie, is this Tuesday between 12 and 4 p.m. If you can, if you've ordered a pie and you're here today, come and see me so I can cross off your name because I will be calling everyone who's ordered a pie who I haven't reminded today. So I would appreciate that. It'll help me this afternoon. Um, And that's 12 to 4 on Tuesday. If there is some reason that you cannot pick up the pie at that time, let us know and we can put it in the freezer. Just remember that the church closes on Wednesday at noon for the holiday. So if you want your pie and you forgot to pick it up Tuesday afternoon, you better pick it up Wednesday morning or you won't have it for Thanksgiving. Fortunately, they do freeze well, so they will be in the freezer if you have forgotten. Thank you. So, Doug Peters has a special announcement. Good morning. I am a member of the session and also the chairman of the generosity team. This generosity team, among other things, is responsible for the development and implementation of our annual stewardship campaign. So I'd like to speak a little bit about it. Uh, As of this past Tuesday, which was just 10 days after our Commitment Sunday, our status on our campaign is as follows. We have received uh, pledges of approximately $439,000. This represents about 70% of last year's total campaign. It's a great start, but we certainly have uh, a ways to go to to our goal. We have not uh, received commitment cards yet from about 90 to 100 uh, of our congregation. And as our officers prepare for the 2017 uh, budget preparation, uh, we look forward to receiving your expression of commitment uh, with or without a financial obligation. Just knowing your commitment of time, talent, or treasure will greatly facilitate 
our budgeting process. And for those that have submitted a commitment card, we sincerely thank you. Thank you for making a commitment to God, yourself, and our church for 2017. This commitment will enable us to continue uh, the great work of this church through worship, uh, fellowship, education, music, prayer, and among other things, our mission outreach. So once again, uh, thank you very much for your support. Call everybody's attention to the Advent brunch immediately following the service. And Bruce, will you prepare us for worship? And indeed, if you just reach up a little higher, I'm willing to bet that you'll touch the glory of God. Thank you for starting us this morning. Friends, please join me in our responsive call to worship. God is our refuge and our strength. 
Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change, though the mountains shake in the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble with its tumult. There is a river whose streams make glad the glory of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of this city. It shall not be moved. God will help it when the morning dawns. Let us worship God. prayer of the day. We come into your courts with praise, O God, and sing in glad adoration. You fill the temple with your majestic presence. We bow in awe at the sight of your holiness. Your goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our life. As in Christ we shall dwell in your house forever. Amen. We are very imperfect people. Sometimes we have thoughts that are not good. We go to places that are not good. We say things we shouldn't say, do things we shouldn't do. And so 
because of our sinful nature, we dare with the confidence and hope of a risen Lord to bring our sins before Almighty God using these printed words. God of consuming fire, treat us not as stubble through the folly of our misdeeds. We are misled by arrogance as we boast of our goodness. We look with disdain on those less fortunate and ignore the poverty of our own souls. Claiming to be among the mighty, we favor those gifted with similar strengths. As individuals and as a nation, we test your patience, yet in Christ you love us still. Forgive our pride and restore our sanity so that we may yet serve you. Amen. Give thanks to God, who has enabled us to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. God has rescued us from the power of darkness, and in Christ we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. In Christ all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible. Christ is the head of the body, the church. Christ is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Through Christ, God was pleased to reconcile all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of the cross. To the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be. seated, friends. Paul writes to the Colossians, and indeed to each one of us. I invite you to hear God's word. May you be made strong with all the strength that comes from his glorious power. And may you be prepared to endure everything with patience while joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. He has rescued you from the powers of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, For in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created in him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the firstborn from the dead, 
so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him God was pleased to reconcile himself for all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of the cross. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
thank you very much, Celebrate Choir. And as you're heading downstairs, I also want to invite everybody else to come forward because I have some special things for you. Come on forward, guys. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Love the trains, Robbie. Good job, good job. Hey, Mr. Wright, love your planes. Planes, trains, and automobiles, we're all set. Good morning, good morning, good morning, good morning. Hey, I'm wondering, do you guys have a full school week coming up this week? No! Do you have a break this week? Yes! Three days! Who's excited about this break this week? Me! Okay, Um, why is there a break this week? Because it's Thanksgiving. What's Thanksgiving? What's Thanksgiving? Miss Schuyler, what is Thanksgiving, darling? Okay, kind of like to celebrate the pilgrims finding a new home. Good answer. Hold on a sec. That's one good answer. I have a que- another question for you. Does the Bible say anything about any other times when you have school breaks? Christmas. Easter. Okay, the Bible says something about those long school breaks, Christmas and Easter. Does the Bible say anything about this three-day school break, Thanksgiving? I don't know. I need a week You might have more? But, but we know that the Bible tells the story of the birth of the baby Jesus, right? And we know that the Bible tells the story of the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. That's why we have bunnies, because bunnies tend to multiply. Right? Okay? So we celebrate that. But does the Bible say anything about Thanksgiving? No. Okay, this is a hypothesis. No, the Bible does not say anything about Thanksgiving. Who would like to help me? Miss Maddie, would you like to help me? Grab a verse. Can you read that nice and loud? Give thanks in all comes. Open it all up. Give thanks in all circumstances. For God, this, for this God, for this is God's will for you in Christ. Give Jesus. That's right. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ. Jesus, well done. That's from First Thessalonians. The Bible says something about Thanksgiving. That was just one. Anybody else? Just grab one. I'll come to you. I'll get you, Cody. Okay. I'll get you, Annabelle. For the Lord will comfort Zion. He will comfort all her waste places and will make her wilderness like Eden, her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and and gladness will be found in her, thanksgiving and the voice of song. Excellent. I can already tell our hypothesis was wrong. Our hypothesis was wrong. That's from Isaiah. Hold on to that. Cody, you said you wanted to read one, right? Grab one, Cody. You will be enriched enriched in every way for you great generosity, generosity, which will produce thanksgiving to God through us. Second Corinthians 9. Well done, Cody. You can hold on to that. Annabelle, I saw your hand next. Sorry, buddy. 
15. Just say yes. Start with yes. Yes. Every. Everything. Everything is for your sake so that grace has it extends to more and more people may increase thanksgiving to the glory of good. God, excellent. Well done. That's another great one. Morgan, you want to do one? Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. Most excellent. You keep that one, okay? So we don't do a read. I saw your hand, sweetheart. Grab one. Okay. Let's see if this is Paul Kowalski. Turn around. These things I remember. These things I remember. As I pour out my soul. As I pour out my soul. How I went with the throng. How I went with the throng. And led them in procession. And led them in procession. To the house of God. To the house of God. With glad shouts. With glad shouts. And songs of thanksgiving. And songs of thanksgiving. Excellent. Missy Cat, you did the last one. Okay? Choose well. What? The peace of Christ rule in our in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. Most excellent. Now, we had a hypothesis. Certainly the Bible says a lot about Christmas and Easter. Does the Bible say anything about Thanksgiving? There you go. So the Bible says something about Thanksgiving. Are you at your tables going to be saying something about Thanksgiving over your three-day break? Yeah? Probably four because there might be a snowstorm. Okay. If you're going to be at tables around Thanksgiving, I want to encourage you all to come up around this table in a pre-Thanksgiving. Calmly make room for your brothers and sisters in Christ. Everybody, there's room back here. Come on. Everybody around. Everybody around. Everybody around. Huddle up. Need you all in here. Need you all in here. I want you to imagine that this is your Thanksgiving table. Make room for everybody. Imagine that this is your Thanksgiving table. And you're all sitting together, brothers and sisters in Christ. There may have been things before the dinner that might have caused you to pick at one another, okay? There may have been things that were tensions in mommy and daddy or tensions of old Uncle Ralph, and we didn't expect old old Uncle Ralph to show up, but he did. There may be tensions about things that adults have been talking about, but when we come to this table, when we come to this table, what should we be doing? Giving thanks. 
when we come to this table, we should be giving thanks. So, Let me read a prayer for us that is for a Thanksgiving table. Ready? Praying to God. Grateful for each hand we hold, gathered round this table. From far and near we travel home, blessed that we are able. Grateful for this sheltered place with light in every window, saying, welcome, welcome, share this feast. Come in away from sorrow, father, mother, daughter, son, neighbor, friend, and friendless. All together, everyone, in the gift of loving kindness. Grateful for what's understood and all that is forgiven. We try so hard to be good, to lead a life worth living. Father, mother, daughter, son, neighbor, friend, and friendless. All together, everyone, let grateful days be endless. Grateful for each hand we hold, gathered round this table. And all God's people said... Amen. Well, I hope you guys have a great day in the kingdom and have a wonderful Thanksgiving. Prophet Jeremiah speaks the word of God. He is known as the weeping prophet because not everything he says is comforting. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, says the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who shepherd my people. It is you who have scattered my flock. And driven them away, and you have not attended to them. So I will attend to you for your evil doing, says the Lord, that I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the lands where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to their fold, and they shall be fruitful and multiply. I will raise up shepherds over them who will shepherd them, and they shall not fear any longer. Or be dismayed, nor shall any be missing, says the Lord. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely, and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days Judah will be saved, and Israel will live in safety. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
You, Lord, are both lamb and shepherd. We sang quite a series of paradoxes. And we may find ourselves in this paradoxical space because we are at the end of the Christian calendar year. Christ the King Sunday is the last Sunday in our lectionary cycle C where we have been focusing on the Gospel of Luke. Next week, when we start Advent, we will be in a brand new lectionary cycle whose primary gospel texts will be taken from Matthew. But now, at the end of this season, don't be surprised when we find our gospel passage taken from the Passion narrative, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. You haven't time warped into Lent and Easter. This is how we understand the completeness of Christ. And I invite you to hear God's word to each one of us. When they came to the place that is called the skull, they crucified Jesus there with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots to divide his clothing, and the people stood by watching. But the leaders scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let's see if he can save himself. After all, he's the Messiah of God, the chosen one. Soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him. This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged there kept deriding him and saying, Are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since we are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed have been condemned justly, for we are getting what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus... Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, Truly I tell you, this day you will be with me in paradise. The word of the Lord. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy. I heard it. You know it. You want to be there. You're right there. Don't worry. Christmas is five Sundays away. Okay? Don't worry. We've got time. But we sang newborn king. Wait a minute. Paradox. We're at the end of the Christian calendar year. Why are we singing about a baby, a newborn king, when it's Christ the King Sunday? Well, as with much of life, we end where we begin. This is the time in our lectionary calendar when we celebrate Christ the King Sunday, and we celebrate one of the characterizations or offices of Christ, that is, king. The other offices, in case you were curious, are priest and prophet. But have you noticed? 
We don't have a Christ the Prophet Sunday, and we don't have a Christ the Priest Sunday. Why not? Humanity has historically and inexplicably been obsessed with royalty. We know that Israel pestered the prophet Samuel for them to give him a king, give him a king, give him a king. And so he anointed Saul in response to their demands. And we all know how well that one turned out, don't we? Elvis became the king of rock and roll. Or think about this. In 2015, people spent, a, spent $1.8 billion on goods and services related to the British monarchy. Just the Brits. You see, in England, tourism is the nation's third largest industry, accounting for one in 12 jobs. Now, according to Buckingham Palace, supporting the British monarchy only costs the British taxpayers about 81 cents per person, which comes to, by their estimates, about $50 million a year. Now, fact checkers dispute that low figure and have come up with a ratio that is closer to $500 million in costs to the British taxpayers. But still, if you consider that $1.8 billion was spent on all things British and royal, and only $500 million at the, at the utmost was the expenditure for it, that's still a whopping $1.3 billion spent on things connected with the British monarchy. And our obsession with royalty does not stop with reality. Just think of all the Disney princesses and other fabled folk undergarding our collective mythology. This obsession with royalty is perpetuated even in newer literary expressions. Consider the Greek word for king is basileum, and the diminutive form of basileum is basiliskos, which means little king, basilisk. Anybody a Harry Potter fan? Uh-huh. Do you hear that J.K. Rowling specifically named the snake of Voldemort the basilisk? the little king, we're still obsessed with royalty. Or the other cognate that we get from Basileum is basiliska, or basilica, which is a medieval church styled, primarily found in Italy. Somehow or another, humanity likes to sort itself into hierarchies. Consider even in the country of India, a caste system. When you were little, or littler, do you remember playing King of the Hill? It's that game where, in order to win, you had to climb over others to make certain that you were the King of the Hill, precariously perched. You were the king. Until, of course, somebody came along and stepped on you to become the king. Isn't it amazing that it's a system based on putting others down? in order to lift just one up? Is this the kind of king Jesus is? Not according to our scriptures for today. Luke says Christ the king is scoffed at by the religious leaders, mocked by the guards, and blasphemed by the prisoners with whom he is sacrificed. Jeremiah says that the king from David's righteous branch will be unlike any other shepherds who have scattered the sheep of God's pasture. Now, why do shepherds have anything to do with kings? Well, in the ancient Near East, shepherd was another name for a high-ranking leader such as a king. 
Jeremiah's prophecy was an indictment against the currently enthroned King Zedekiah, not to be confused with the good King Hezekiah. Jeremiah says the righteous king will deal wisely, execute justice, and live righteously. And his behavior is epitomized by the prophet Micah answering the question as to what the Lord requires of each of us, but to do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with our God. Yes, my friends, the king Christ is breaks all of our stereotypes. Our daughter Rachel entered middle school this year. I feel old. I mean, really, when did that happen? You've watched her grow up here. The middle school counselors recently made a presentation to parents. Between them, these ladies have 45 years of professional experience. And can you guess what they identified as the number one challenge of middle school students? And by proxy, their parents as they're dealing with it at home. Can you guess the number one challenge? I hear some whispers. Yeah. It's partly peer pressure. Stereotypes. Stereotypes are the number one challenge that they face. Jocks, nerds, artsy, stuck-up, sloppy, creative, ditzy, organized, geeks, rich, poor, popular, stoner, loner, crazy. Does that kind of fit most of the stereotypes that we encounter in middle school? Clicks form. Relational, electronic, and physical bullying follows. We have all used these stereotypes or had them used against us. I've, I've done it, and I'm not proud of it. When I first graduated from Princeton, I was selected to be a part of a transition into ministry program that was funded by a generous grant from the Lilly Foundation. Bill and I, along with six other newly ordained pastors and their spouses, covenanted with one another to meet regularly for continuing studies and theological reflection upon our calling as pastors. This was a very precious time for us and one that we looked forward to in between our ministry experiences. We were mentored by two large congregation senior pastors in the PCUSA. And when we gathered for the first of several retreats and shared with one another our life stories, I made judgmental, made judgmental stereotypes, which I regret. You see, we came from Princeton. We came from Columbia Theological Seminary. We came from McCormick Theological Seminary in Chicago. We came from Pittsburgh Theological Seminary. And we had somebody from Fuller Theological Seminary out in California. And I did, as many who know the seminaries or the stereotypical reputations of these seminaries, I followed those stereotypes. McCormick was supposed to be the most liberal and progressive. Fuller was out there with right-wing nuts, theologically conservative. I totally missed the richness and the fullness of these people gathered with and for us because my stereotypes blinded me. Over the course of our retreats, this group of pastors and partners opened up to one another, became real and nuanced and precious to one another. We shared our miscarriages and our births. We shared the deaths of parents and siblings. We shared the joys and challenges of pastoral callings and fallings. 
And we gained a lot of wisdom along the way. We found that God loves each one of us uniquely. And we found that we love Christ, the prophet, priest, and king, in all of his fullness and complexity. And we found the Holy Spirit continuing to work in marvelous and mysterious ways. I am so grateful for them and for that experience. They broke my stereotypes. The king Christ is breaks all of our stereotypes. A Christ-like king leads not by brute force, but by caring for those who are poor, oppressed, and captive by whatever circumstances. Christ revealed this to the leaders of the synagogue in his hometown of Nazareth when he was, as normally happens for young persons that age, he was handed the scroll of Isaiah, and Jesus read, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And as Jesus handed the scroll back to the attendant, he said, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. My friends, the majesty of Christ the King is not revealed when we look up, but when we look down. One of the most powerful things that Christ the King does is forgive our sins. You know that kerfuffle, awkward point in the Lord's Prayer when some people say debts, debtors, some people say sins, sinners, some people say forgive us our trespasses and those who trespass against us. Sins, debts, trespasses, it's all a way of trying to get at the same idea, and that is anything that gets in the way of our relationship with God and with one another. Christ the King forgives all that. There are other examples of kings in history doing such wise things as forgiving debts. In ancient city-states such as Babylon, Samaria, and Judea, rulers found it necessary to cancel all consumer debt from time to time. Now, the reason for doing so was not just wise and merciful. It was brass tacks practical. When peasants became too debt-ridden, the fabric of society was literally torn apart. Dr. Draven Graeber of the London School of Economics wrote a fascinating history of debt in 2011. He, he writes, We don't know precisely when and how interest-bearing loans originated since they appear to predate writing. Think about how old that is. Most likely, temple administrators invented the idea as a way of financing the caravan trade. By 2,400 years before the birth of Christ, it already appears to have been common practice for wealthy merchants to make loans to peasants who were in financial trouble on their collateral. When the debtors were unable to pay, the merchants began to take their property. The appropriation started small, usually with grain, sheep, goats, the furniture, but then it moved on to fields and homes and eventually people. The effects were catastrophic. If for any reason there was a bad harvest, large proportions of the peasantry would fall into debt. Families would be broken up 
Before long, lands lay abandoned and as indebted farmers fled their homes for fear of repossession. And those refugees formed semi-nomadic bands on the desert fringes of urban civilization. And as you can imagine, when desperate people have no other resources, all kinds of bad things happen. Faced with the potential for complete social breakdown, Sumerian and later Babylonian kings periodically announced declarations of freedom for consumer but not commercial debt. In fact, the Sumerian word amargi, which is the first recorded word for freedom in any known human language, literally means return to mother, since that is what the freed slaves were eventually allowed to do. The Old Testament book of Nehemiah tells of one of these declarations of freedom. Nehemiah was a Jew born in Babylon, a former cupbearer to the Persian king. And in 444 BC, he managed to talk the king into appointing him as governor of his native Judea. But he found out when he got there that the society was already torn apart. All around him, impoverished peasants were unable to pay their taxes, and creditors were carrying off the children of the poor. So Nehemiah's wise response was to issue a classic Babylonian-style declaration of freedom. All non-commercial debts were forgiven. At the same time, Nehemiah had managed to find and reinstate much of the Torah. And guess what the Torah says? It mandates a declaration of freedom. The law of Jubilee stipulates that all debts would be automatically canceled in the seventh year, the Sabbath year, and all that who languished in bondage owing to such debts would be freed, returned to mother. Nehemiah used the power of the king to do good. Christ is a king who regularly forgives debts seeking relationship and restitution, not subservience. The king Christ is breaks all of our stereotypes. But how does Christ do that? Remember, friends, Christ is not one-dimensional, and he's certainly not the picture that we might remember from Sunday school. You know, the three-quarter profile picture with his gazing off into the sunset somewhere? perfectly coiffed hair, beautiful white skin and blue eyes. Christ is not one-dimensional. Christ is part of a trinity, God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. And more than that, when we try and characterize Christ with his three offices, he's not just a king, he's a prophet and a priest. Maybe that's why we need a more robust understanding of Jesus, the complete Christ. Here's an idea. Go ahead and picture the robust Christ as a young Arnold Schwarzenegger. All right, maybe not. Jesus is not just the meek and mild babe to whom we will sing happy birthday in five Sundays. Jesus is not just the cheeky teen who slipped his parents' yoke and went to the temple and taught rabbis three, four, and five times his age. Jesus is not just the one who calls and equips Peter, James, Andrew, John, Martha, Mary, Lydia, Carrie, insert your name here, to follow him. Jesus is not just the one who rebukes demons and saves the oppressed. Jesus is not just the one who tells the woman at the well everything she has ever done in her life 
and still loves her and reminds her that she has a redeeming purpose, as do we. Jesus is not just the one who heals. Jesus is not just the one who feeds the 5,000 in the literary story and then certainly many millions more after that. Jesus is not just the one who asks God to forgive the people who kill him. Jesus is not just a prophet. Jesus is not just a priest. And Jesus is not just a king. As with much of life, we end where we begin. As we enter this season of thanksgiving, let us celebrate the fullness of Christ, his kingly, priestly, and prophetic offices. Let us also give thanks to God for magnificently making us and putting us in relationship with God and with one another. Parker Palmer, author, educator, and activist, has noted that our ability to sustain community is bound up in our capacity for connectedness. Connectedness is a willingness to engage with others, even with those with whom we disagree, out of an understanding of our deep interdependence. In American Sign Language, this is the sign for connectedness, fullness, marriage. We need each other, not only for comfort, encouragement, and support, but also for criticism, for pruning, for challenge, and collaboration. In particular, this Thanksgiving, let's remind ourselves and our families who might have wildly different opinions about the state of our nation that we have more in common when we celebrate the fullness of Christ. We have more in common when we give thanks for our many blessings. We have more in common when we worship something bigger than ourselves. We have more in common when we minister to others. We have more in common when we offer hospitality to strangers and thereby entertain angels unaware. We have more in common when we bring good news to the poor, proclaim release to the captives, restore sight to the blind, free the oppressed, and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Return to mother. Thank you, Carrie. Now it comes as a time for all of us to break stereotypes. The stereotype is that most people presume that Presbyterians are very stingy Scotsmen. May it not be so. Let's prepare to receive our offering with this prayer. O Christ, in whom the fullness of the Godhead dwells, we offer ourselves to your service. Let time be blessed by your presence. Let skills enrich the life of humankind. Receive what we bring as offerings to you. Make use of them and of us for the sake of your holy gospel. Amen.
We have a lot of extra flowers in the chancel. And that's really because of what took place here yesterday. Uh, Dwight Burnham uh, was remembered at a memorial service. His casket will then be taken to West Point, where they will have a graveside service at the West Point Cemetery tomorrow. Tom Hughes, who for many years sang in our church's choir, also his memorial service was held here yesterday. It's hard to imagine that um, uh, at his interment it was 72 degrees and things changed so much. The choir did sing, and it was absolutely wonderful. Um, We've been asked to remember in prayer today uh, Nora Selinsky. The Lake family has made that request. And also to remember uh, Bob Clee's brother. Uh, He lives in Buffalo, and he has just suffered a very severe heart attack. And and, um, in support of Bob, we want to remember the family. We're also giving thanks and praise for the lovely flowers that are on the re-table, for they are a remembrance from the Vesslings in gratitude and in love for Jerry. We're thankful also that we have much to celebrate in Jen Lake as she was honored in the RBJ's 40 Under 40 this week. Congratulations, Jen, and to your family. We also give thanks for the healing power of prayer and surgeons' hands. On Tuesday, we will be praying for Bob Pete as he undergoes lumbar surgery at Rochester General. And finally, please keep in prayer Len Parker's family. His mother has stopped eating, and he is in Schenectady as he is ministering with her and their large extended family. Friends, please pray with me. God of the circling years, your faithfulness spans generations. We thank you for giving us the Christ that we need hide nothing from you and from him. We hear again of how Christ drew apart to spend time in prayer. We sense the sorrow he endured, and we witness his unyielding confession of trust in your will. Through him, we too can endure. We await the day when all hearts shall love you and Christ shall reign supreme. It is to you, gracious God, eternal and everlasting, that we present these prayers trusting only in the merit and sacrifice of Christ, through whom, with whom, and in whom we pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Friends, please join me in singing the first and last verses of Crown Him with Many Crowns. First and last verses.
are celebrating many things today, including the Advent Preparation Brunch, for which I encourage you to stay, but also we have our elders voting upon the inclusion of 15 new members. And so I would invite those new members, the elders who are working with them, and the deacons who have these new members in their zones to remain in the sanctuary following this benediction and postlude. I also want to let you know that Bruce and I are going to be circulating during the Advent preparation brunch. The next four Sundays of Advent, we give the opportunity for individuals and families to light the Advent wreath during the 8.30 and 10 o'clock service. We'd love to have you participate if you never have, or if you have and wanted to do it again because it is so much fun. And now, friends, celebrate the complete Christ. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be and abide with each and every one of us this day and forevermore. Amen. Amen.